is today. Today? It is Wednesday, my dude. This is gonna be great! <laughs> Good morning, people. Glad that you're here with me today. It was a big week in the Briel garage. Not in the house, in the garage. Here's why. All right, so a couple podcasts ago, I said I had some car trouble. Blew out the tire. Then my uh, my radio had went out. I needed a new APIM. It's a, it's a thing that goes behind... It's like it attaches to my uh, screen. It controls the radio, the backup camera, uh, USB ports, a lot of stuff, important things. So for weeks, driving around in silence, which is not good for me. I don't, I don't like it. Don't like it a bit. Um, so anyways, I was waiting for a friend to help me because in order to get to it, I got to tear out pretty much all of the dash and the center console. It's, it's a big thing. Well, my friend got busy doing stuff. So I watched a couple YouTube videos and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to tackle this myself alone with no expertise, which is scary. It's dangerous. And I was worried I was going to break something on the dash. But anyways, I decided to do it. Took the plunge. And even though it was 5,000 degrees in my garage because it was 10,000 degrees outside, uh, I went went after it. So I'm going to put some pictures up of what it looked like. When I started tearing things apart, the whole front dash part was gone. I took that outside the center console. I had to, I had to put the car into drive with the, um, e-brake on, obviously the car's off and all that, but a lot of noises, dinging, all that. I had to unscrew stuff. It was kind of scary. I was setting things to the side of me in order to put them back together. Cause I didn't want to, you know, lose anything, whatever. Um, so Here's the pictures of it, and uh, and I was able to put it all back together. I put the um, the APIM on there. It works. So everything is back to normal inside the cabin and inside my car. The interior is back. And as I was going along, obviously I detail it up a little bit, make it look good. While I have it apart, we give it an extra good cleaning. It's kind of my thing, right? So I'm doing that. It's all going great. Loving it get it all set, go to turn the car on, car won't start because I've been having things on and all that stuff and the dinging and the lights. And so I was like, I better jump my, um, my car. So I, I get my wife's car. I go to, I open up the compartment for the battery of my car. And this is what I find. Look at this thing. I have never seen so much corrosion, so much battery acid or whatever it is it was gross this was a science experiment going on underneath the hood it's it was off-putting right and um so i'm like man i gotta i gotta do something about this now at the same time i had a friend this was like probably a month two months ago who asked me one day at youth he goes uh how often do you change your spark plugs in your car and i was like never why would I change the spark plugs on my car? And he's like, dude, you're supposed to change it like every 30,000 miles. And I said, you, my friend, are crazy. Who who changes their spark plugs? You know, whatever. So then I, I do a little Google search and turns out you're supposed to change your spark plugs. And then I looked up my particular model. Mine, 
you're supposed to change it every 20,000 miles. And I was like, then I he was like, yeah, it'll run better. And talking. And I was thinking about sometimes when I was sitting, waiting for Gianna to get out of work and it would kind of like have some weird misfire type of things. And I'm like, yeah, that makes some sense. So while the battery is a science experiment and I got to, I was like, I'm going to have to get new terminals and I got to get some stuff to clean it and all this stuff. I might even have to get a new battery or whatever. I was like, I might as well get the spark plugs and we'll go ahead and do that. So I get to AutoZone. By the way, this may be a long Devo today. I'm just saying. There's a lot of stuff before the Devo, but bear with me. But anyway, so I get to AutoZone. I get all the stuff that I need. I, you know, I research the um, spark plugs, the all the stuff, right? So I get it. And I said, by the way, what do you think of this? And I showed the guy the picture of my battery corrosion, all that. And he goes, good God. He was like, you should just get a new battery. I was like, let's pump the brakes on that big fella. I don't have that kind of money to just be dropping 150 bucks on a battery. Let's let's try to clean this up. So I get all that, get home, put a lot of elbow grease, a lot of work into the battery, but I did clean it up. It looks great. I had borrowed uh, some stuff from Jim here, sprayed it down, some anti-corrosion, whatever. So we're, we're back to good there. But you know what else? As I was looking at the battery, when I first opened it up and looking underneath the hood, I'm like, man, this is dirty in here. This is filthy. The engine compartment is gross. Back in the day when I used to be a detailer at a car wash, before all the computers and all this stuff, I'd just power wash down all these engines and touch it up. Can't really do that nowadays. Also, I don't have a power washer. But So what I did is while I had things apart, because I, I had to take off a lot of stuff to get to the spark plugs, um, I started detailing the engine too. Make it, so check this out. I got some pictures of like underneath the engine cover and then all that. Oh yeah, I shined it up a little bit. It's looking nice. And I feel like the car is going to run a little better. It's going to feel like, oh man, I'm clean. I'm good. So all that is done. So everything is looking, driving great. I still need a new, new tire. I still got the donut on there, but I'm waiting. Hopefully we'll get something going here. But moral of the story is... I'm expecting a call any day now from Motor Trend or Discovery saying they want to give me a show. Like, I mean, I'm putting it on. I even watched a video on how to change brakes, so when that comes up, I got it. I mean, it may sound simple, but YouTube has helped me become a mechanic. I'm a certified YouTube mechanic now. That's right. Moving on. Now, there's no easy transition to this. But... And no, we're, we're not getting into the actual Devo part yet, but this is going to look, it's all, it's all building to it, right? Have you ever heard of Stockholm Syndrome? No? Yeah? Maybe? I don't know. Well, let me tell you. Uh, here's, here's the definition of stock, Stockholm Syndrome. It's the feelings of trust or affection felt in many cases of kidnapping or hostage taking by a victim toward a captor. So the person feel some affection towards their captor, even though they're, they're in a terrible situation and they're kidnapped, right? And how can and you think to yourself, how can you feel that way about someone who's taken you? It's crazy, right? So then I did some research into Stockholm Syndrome, and, here, and check this, I'm going to read this word for word here. The phrase Stockholm Syndrome is coined by a criminologist and psychologist, Niles, I, I'm going to butcher this dude's name, Niles Bejera. Could be a I don't know. It originated with the normal strong robbery, which took place in Stockholm, Sweden, on August 23rd, 1973. Jan Erik Olksen, 
a 32-year-old convict, attempted to rob, oh, geez, listen to these words, Sverges Krenderbank in Normanstrong Square and took four hostages, Brigida Wungbald, Elizabeth Olmgren, Kirsten Enmar, and Sven Safstrom. Shortly after taking the hostage, Olsen demanded that his friends Clark Olofsson, who was 26, be brought there, and the authorities complied in an, in an attempt to you know, keep, the, keep the peace. The four hostages were held captive in a bank vault for six days. Six days in a bank vault. But it quickly became evident that they were bonding with their captors. They were reportedly on a first-name basis by day two and were even hostile towards law enforcement who attempted to check on them. And when they finally were able to escape, reports indicated that the hostages hugged the robbers goodbye and blocked police from being able to shoot at them. During the hostage crisis, uh, uh, on a phone call with Prime Minister Olaf Palm, Kristen Enmark, who reportedly developed a close bond with Olsen, relayed her disappointment that Olsen's demands were not being met and even told Palm, I fully trust Clark and the robber. In fact, According to multiple accounts, the hostages were more afraid of being killed by, in a police assault than by Olson or Olofsson. After the crime, both Olson and Olofsson were charged with con- and convicted, but Olofsson's charges were ultimately dropped due to the claims that he was only there to save the hostages and help control Olson. The, victim raised, the victims raised money for their captors' court fees, refused to testify against them, and even visited them after the fact. In a later interview with journalist Daniel Lang, the hostages insisted that they were treated well and felt indebted to their captors for sparing their lives. Most notably, Elizabeth Oldgren shared that Olson was very kind to her and she was suffering from severe claustrophobia. According to her, she was allowed to exit the vault from time, from, for a time with a rope around her neck so she could walk around. Now, not only does this seem weird that someone could bond and form a relationship with their captor it seems as if you know we shouldn't we should we shouldn't want that to happen right like it doesn't make it right to kidnap someone and hold them hostage even if they somehow bond with you or or even sympathize with you i would never do that to someone else and i hope that you wouldn't want to do that none of you would right wrong i'm here to tell you you're wrong and you know what made me think of this What made me come up with Stockholm Syndrome? Like, how could someone make somebody love them in a situation where you're holding them captive? Well, I was walking my dogs the other night, and I was like, look at this little animal that I have held captive. If I let this dog off the leash, she's gone. Right? Uh, First chance, she's out of there. But here I am trying to instill Stockholm Syndrome onto her. And, and I think that's weird. I know two dogs in my neighborhood who do not have Stockholm Syndrome. Uh, one's actually uh, a dachshound named Charlie and that some of our friends have uh, because that little guy escapes every other week and another dog named Aspen escapes like every other day and they just wander around the neighborhood unattended trying to escape. They're fighting for their lives, I think. Uh, but it's just a lie we tell ourselves, oh no, my dog really loves me. Really? Let it go outside, see what happens without a leash. I mean, we, we read that Stockholm Syndrome, that the uh, the captor let his captive out with a rope around his neck like a leash. Yeah, I've seen that. It's called a leash on a dog. 
<sighs> but you say, no, my dog loves me. He's not a captive. Uh, or maybe you've already su- successfully Stockholm syndromed the pooch because maybe it won't now or it's too old. Like I said, it's a weird little uh, why we tell ourselves. Um, and that's kind of where I want to land on this podcast is lies. Lies. We're going to be talking about some big lies. So here we are on July 5th, fresh out of June, where, you know, June is what some people call Pride Month. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole ins and outs of, of Pride Month and, and all that stuff, or, but I just wanted to say this. Also, this, this is your trigger warning to what I'm going to talk about for the people who are sensitive to these issues, even if you are a Christian, which I know there's a lot. I have friends that are. Anyways, uh, one of the major phrases, the go-to phrases of the LGBTQ pride movement is love is love. I see it all the time. Social media, I hear it on TV and the radio. It's all over. Love is love. Well, love is love is problematic. And it gives people, both Christian and non-Christian, pause to, to think and question is that right? Love is love, isn't it? Um, I mean, love is an amazing thing, uh, and it is so important that we all want to feel that. I mean, the way you get love shouldn't be a big deal, should it? Those are the questions people are asking themselves. And how our children are probably thinking about it when they hear the phrase over and over and over and over and over and over nowadays. But if one of your children or one of your young friends ask you as a Christian, what is love? What would you tell them? I'm sure you wouldn't say love is love. Do whatever you want. No. Well, look at, I would give them the biblical definition of love. And that comes in 1 Corinthians. So, So let me do this. Let me, let me read this. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now that is a go-to scripture for weddings used by pastors around the world for decades and decades and decades. Uh, Even non-Christians most likely would have heard that scripture a handful of times. But why would the scripture be so popular? Why would pastors use this verse? Well, because it perfectly explains what love is and or what it should be. The crazy thing, though, is the private movement with its love is love mantra happens to work in complete opposition to this verse. Literally, that's what's being shoved down our throat in the past few years on every media platform is not patient. Like, they're not patient at all. They want things now. They don't want to, right? And it is not kind. If you have Christian beliefs and you disagree with their position, I promise you, you will not be met with kindness. The pride movement is envious of the accepted traditional marriage relationship. They do boast about their sexual preferences. I mean, just Google pride parades and see what goes down there. Watch videos of that. And are they proud? Well, the movement is literally called pride. 
So right off the bat, we're just moving, we're, we're working in opposition to what, what we consider the truth of what love is. So let's go to the next set of verses. Uh, it does not dishonor others. It does not, it's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Would, uh, would you say that the pride movement is self-seeking? Yeah, that, w- that would be a big yes. Uh, are the pride supporters easily angered? You could say that. Do they keep a record of wrongs? You better believe it. And then let's do verse six. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Okay, so this is the biggest one for me. Uh, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. As a Christian, we know the truth is found within Scripture. We know what Scripture says about the LGBTQ lifestyle. Therefore, we know that it is sinful. We know sin is evil. So to delight in evil, like the pride movement, is blatant disrespect of our beliefs and morals. Now, to be fair, the LGBTQ community are largely outside of the church. So they don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe in uh, the Bible being the source of truth. So there's where we, like, how can we as Christians expect them to live according to Scripture when they aren't believers or aren't even interested in having their relationship with Jesus? So it's pretty ridiculous for Christians to expect non-Christians to act the way we want them to, or we think that they should, right? So a lot of it is on us with our ridiculous expectations for people outside the church that are not believers. But our job is to share the gospel kindly and try to expose them to the truth. Not that that's going to be easy. And it's also our jobs to raise our family within the biblical Christian morals, teaching them the truth. Oh, and also... Our job is to call out lies and share the real truth with everyone. But the big fear and the problem with the pride movement is with the exposure and uh, that the LGBTQ community has in the world via social media, support on TV, movies, major corporations portraying, like everything pointing us to the pride movement and, and trying to tell us this love is love, this movement is truth. Um, and, and here's a meme that perfectly depicts the pride movement to me and I'll pop it up right here. It's a a girl standing against the wall. Another one has a tuba right up to her face and it says me trying to live my life. And the tuba is the LGBTQ propaganda, right? So that we're just constantly being bombarded with this because as Christians, we know that this pride movement is a lie. Plus, the power that the community have in terms of canceling power is crazy. I mean, think about this way. Let's say you work at a big company and they decide to do a big pride campaign, which the majority of them have done. You have a choice to make in that that time. You can respectfully refuse to be a part of it and possibly get fired, uh, but you'll at least be alienated from your other coworkers who are all in on the pride movement. Or you could go along with it and uh, and turn your back on your Christian beliefs, and then you have to deal with that forever, you know. Um, and here's the thing: I also have a problem with with the fellow Christians who look at the LGBTQ lifestyle as like no big deal, 
or who would say things like, why are you so obsessed? Why are Christians so obsessed and focused on the LGBTQ lifestyle, uh, this pride thing? There are other sinful lifestyles that you aren't obsessed with. What about straight married couples that have affairs? What about when straight people are lying? What about um, when they're abusive to their partner? Uh, what about murder? What about all this and that? And like, there's lots of things that we're not focused on, but we're so focused on the LGBTQ, the pride movement, all that stuff. And I would say all those things are in fact sins that you brought up, but we all know and agree that they're evil and they're sinful. They're problematic. But the big problem is, is, is those, the, those things that you just talked about don't have national campaigns telling us to accept those lifestyles. We don't have national spouse cheating organization flooding our social media saying we need to accept people who have strong libidos and need a variety of sexual partners. I mean, what if your husband, what, what if a husband decides to go cheat on his wife? She finds out and he's like, look, I, I love this person just as much as I love you. Love is love, right? You can't judge me. That's not right. You have to deal with it or you're wrong. I mean, that's not happening. We don't have a national liar month where we're expected to celebrate the major liars in our life. Uh, for instance, I saw a video on Twitter um, and it was a trans person uh, telling, encouraging straight cis people, which that's so annoying. What cis male? Cis, no, we are born. We're biologically male and and female. But anyways, uh, they're telling this trans person is telling straight people to go to a trans person during Pride Month and ask if you can do anything for them. Is there any chores you could do to take a little of the weight off of them? Because their life is just it's exhausting being trans. It's exhausting. So imagine uh, there is an organization. It's it's National Liar Month. And you saw somebody say, hey, you should go, um, you should go to your, your favorite liar that you have in your life and, and ask if you could do anything for him because it's exhausting being a liar. You have to keep up with all these lies, keep things straight. It's, it's exhausting. So you should really, no, that's crazy. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's a big deal to let sin become accepted. So that's a so so the reason why Christians are so focused on the LGBTQ, the pride movement a lot of times is because of the national campaigns, the pressure that it puts on everyone, the 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 support that it's getting to make this lifestyle normal. I mean, if you knew that you had a, if you had a friend who was cheating on his wife or vice versa or or you're friends with a compulsive liar, and, and they're constantly damaging other people's relationships, you would step in and say something because you know that it's wrong. But for some reason, this love is love phrase changes everything. I mean, you'll say to yourself, I mean, love is love, right? It's not their fault they were dealt this hand of being attracted to the same sex. They're entitled to love too. Love is love. It's not like pride is telling anybody to hurt or murder anyone. It's not that big of a sin. It's not hurting you. Well, let's remember, it's still a lie. If we, if we go back to the Garden of Eden, uh, the serpent, when the serpent deceived Eve, he didn't tell her to steal anything. He didn't tell her to hurt or murder anyone. He simply got her to question what God had said. I mean, it wasn't that big of a deal, right? Well, that is exactly what the pride movement is. It makes people question God's word. And that's a fact, and that's the most simple way I can put it to you. 
Pride is meant to make us question what is right, what God has said. And remember what happened when Eve questioned God's word? We fell. Nothing has been the same since then. So when I see all these people say love is love, that's just the enemy trying to get us to question God's word. So I I could do hours talking about this, but that's really the main point that I wanted to say today. And I know some people probably have their feelings hurt and think that, you know, Christians hate the LGBTQ community. What we hate is the questioning of God's word. We hate that uh, people decide to take, turn their back on God's word. And like I said, the people who don't know Jesus, don't know scripture on that, how can we expect them to live a certain life unless we enter their lives and try to tell them and point them towards the truth kindly, respectfully, with love? So, yeah, that's what we have today. And maybe next week we'll be a little more lighthearted. I don't know. We will see. I just talk about what comes to me during the week. So, you guys have a great week. I'll see you next time. We'll be right back.